It's Saturday of the third week of Lent. Welcome to today's Lentcast. This is Father John Zilsdorf. The Roman station's pilgrimage that we are making in longing and imagination continues by gathering at the Collect Church, St. Vitalis, and then continuing in procession to the station Santa Susanna. However, recently... When the stations are observed, the masses are held across the street at the beautiful Carmelite church, Santa Maria della Vittoria. And this is the church where you find Bernini's astonishing statue of St. Teresa in ecstasy. St. Susanna seems to have been a relative of Diocletian and was the niece of Pope Gaius. Diocletian wanted her to marry, and as often the case with Roman virgin martyrs, she was a Christian who made of our virginity, and so Diocletian killed her father and her uncle, and the Pope, and also Susanna, whose head was chopped off in her family home. St. Susanna, the church, was one of those house churches we've heard about so often. It was already a place of worship by 330, and it was called Santa Susanna already in the 7th century. Like all Roman churches, it was restored many times over. Uh, there was a major reconstruction under Sixtus IV. At that time, the church stood in an area of Rome that was pretty much abandoned and becoming rural. And so Sixtus V, in the late 16th century, he was a great city planner and builder. He put a big fountain with a statue of Moses across the street from the church in a bid to bring people back to this area. The facade of St. Susanna is by Carlo Maderno and impressed Rome so much that he was given the job of making the new basilica, the facade of the new basilica of St. Peter on the Vatican Hill. Today in the Vetus Ordo, we hear in the first reading the long account from the Old Testament about Susanna, surprised by wicked men while she was taking her bath, and then they falsely accused her of adultery when she would not give in to their nefarious designs. The Gospel reading is the tale of the adulteress brought before Christ. How carefully we have to tread in life and be wary of those who would cause us to sin. And when we do fall in sin, we must come back to God in confession. We always have a merciful Savior in Jesus. Now, the story of Susanna in Daniel was very well known to early Roman Christians, and images are found in the chambers and niches of the catacombs. She is calumniated. She prays. She was saved. However, she preferred to be an unjustly treated victim of malice rather than to be rescued in worldly terms, if you know what I mean. So the woman taking, taken in adultery presents us with an aporia. The Lord did not come to overturn the law, and the law is clear about the fate of guilty adulteresses. The choice of the Daniel reading suggests her innocence, but he adds, sin no more. So if she was guilty of the crime, she must have repented with sincerity and not just with fear of punishment, which moves the Lord to at least keep mouths shut against her ultimate condemnation. And this also reminds us of the difference between being sorry because we are afraid of punishment and being sorry for love. The first one is sufficient for absolution, but real contrition, sorry because we've offended God, is more perfect. since I've been prating on and going on and on, I'll just give you the prayer over the people. Let us pray. Bow your heads to God. 
Stretch forth to your faithful people, O Lord, the hand of divine help, that they may seek you with their whole heart and may be found worthy to obtain the things they implore in the right way. O Remus, humiliate capita vestra Deo. Pretende, Domine, fidelibus tuis dexteram celestis auxilii, ut te toto corde pequirant, et que digne postulant, consequi meriantur, per Dominum nostrum Jesum Christum filium tuum, qui tegum vivere reina tiluditati Spiritus Sancti Deus, per omnia saecula saeculorum. Amen. Amen.